Hey there, I'm Russia Bowles. I'm Neely Graham. And this is the Can I Be Honest podcast, the podcast where we take our real life conversations online and serve nothing but honesty. So today is the day after the election, but we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the new. Is it new? I guess you could say new. So it's kind of new, but it's kind of not. So just, just to interrupt your ad lib, just to give some context. Mm-hmm. It premiered, well, first say what we're talking about. We're talking about the Social Dilemma documentary. Just so you know, so you're not like, they're building it up too much. <laughs> right. We're talking about the Social Dilemma. You may be familiar. So it actually became available on Netflix, I believe, what day, what day, what day? September 9th. So we're a little bit behind. But I feel like it didn't really pick up traction until October. Not I agree. I feel like yeah. it sat in Netflix's options, which are vast, and no one noticed it until October, yeah. um, maybe like late September. It premiered at Sundance, which is a film festival at the beginning of the year, back when you could be in a room with people. <laughs> <laughs> so supposedly it was getting buzz back in January, and then Netflix okay. bought the rights, and that what leads us to this. Okay. Yeah, so pretty much we're going to be diving into this documentary. We thought it was super cool to just, like, watch it and kind of review it, kind of explain what's going on. We're not really going to review the movie. We're going to just talk about what really they're talking about in the movie a little bit deeper and in our own opinions. Um, But, yeah, it should be a little fun episode, and I honestly thought it was a – I don't want to say eye-opening just yet – Let's just get right into uh, our opinions because I don't have much else to say. So let's get into it. So the first question we have is, was the social dilemma a bit dramatic? Now this needs some explaining. The social dilemma is a documentary about the effects of social media Mm -hmm. and social media software on people and Mm -hmm. the effects it's already had and the risks that it poses in the future. There yeah. are interviews with individuals who have worked at some of the biggest companies, Facebook, Twitter, Google, YouTube, Pinterest. Mm-hmm. Um, those are just some. Mm-hmm. They are expressing their opinions about the places that they've worked and the atmosphere that they have helped create because yeah. this is a huge market. We all use social media in some form. Maybe not all the big sites, but some of them. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of that, there is an element to this film that is dramatization. Basically, they use a family in the film to show what these actual effects that they're talking about can play out. Mm-hmm. This is where we get to this question, is it a bit dramatic? Because this is the part that's a little weird. <laughs> so there's different. There's the mother, there's the father, there's three kids. Yeah. And there's a young girl in the family who is, you're going to assume she's probably like 12, 13. Yeah. She shouldn't really have a phone. That's kind of made clear in the beginning. Mm -hmm. She is vulnerable to what she's seeing on social media. There's a part which is just really strange. She posts a picture on Instagram or like Instagram in quotations. And she gets a comment from somebody telling her that she looks like an elephant because her ears are super big. And she, like, has a mental breakdown. Now, here's the thing. Cyberbullying is real. People can post hateful stuff. 
but I don't feel like anyone is going to post on someone's photo. You have yeah. You People like will more like post it somewhere else or talk about it. People don't normally comment on people's actual posts like something bad about them. People aren't that That's bold. like something that you swipe up on someone's post on Snapchat and you write in private. Exactly. Not that I'm saying you should do that, but like that's more of that vibe. Yeah. That was just like off. Also, that young girl. So essentially, there's a part where the mother of this family watches a clip from an episode of Shark Tank where mm-hmm. somebody has come up with an invention. This is honestly a really smart invention. Mm-hmm. It is, it's meant to be a cookie box where you can put like snacks or whatever in it and it has a timer. Yeah. That timer is the amount of time that that is locked for. Mm-hmm. Um, and she decides that she's going to buy it mm-hmm. and put her kids' phones, the actually the entire family's phones, in the box. Yeah. Now, the weird thing about this, I think, is that, one, this invention obviously exists. Like, that's yeah. an actual clip from Shark Tank. They used it in the film, um, which is great. But then she takes their phones and the young girl is so bothered by the fact that she does not have her phone at the dinner table. She gets up from the table and pretends smashes the fork. I should have pointed that out there. Yeah. She pretends that she's going to get a fork, which I knew immediately. I'm like, this girl's about to break that shit. That's what she does. She smashes this box open. One that's really extra too that's not good product endorsement for those guys that came up with that invention on shark tank exactly it's it was just like and then like because she broke open the box she smashes her brother's phone screen which then turns into a whole other plot of this traumatizing like it was just like okay this is a little too much now yeah it was like when i saw that scene she had on goggles i think she had on gloves too like i'm like home girl how did you find all of this you, you prepped yourself before you decided to bash open this freaking case like it was just too much i feel like maybe there are people out there that would go to the extreme to do that but i don't think anyone would really go out of their way because they wanted to use their phone at the dinner table so bad that they would break open a hard plastic case to get their phone. It's also extremely dangerous and not only is it going to damage the things inside of it, it's likely to also smash open and maybe cut you. Exactly. Like, I don't know if you've ever dealt with like sharp plastic. Mm -hmm. That shit's scary. Yeah. Like, it's on the same level as glass. Glass, that just, exactly. That scene was a little too much. <laughs> um, I get the point it's making about young people's, you know, devotion to their phone, which we're going to get into later. But mm-hmm. it was just over the top. Like, yeah. I was just like, I kind of want to stop watching. This is kind of mm-hmm. That's the thing. Like, I, th- I felt like it was a good documentary, but the dramatizations were literally so dramatic sometimes that I was just like, bro, like, this is making the documentary so bad. Like, I understand what they're trying to portray and, you know, how they're trying to help people understand, like, what's really going on behind the scenes and, like, these tech companies or, you know, like, in their own brain and, like, their 
real addictiveness to their phones, but it's like, there was a better way. I feel like there was a more realistic way that they could have gone about showing examples than like some of the stuff that they did. Like it was really kind of creepy at points, like super creepy. Yeah. And another creepy element um, was the three creepy men, which is what oh, I like. Oh, yeah. So a lot of conversation in this documentary is about algorithms. We hear mm-hmm. about them a lot. Um, they're a big conversation with TikTok because TikTok's algorithm is one of the best. You could also argue there's probably downsides to it. Yeah. Um, Facebook's algorithm. People complain about Instagram constantly changing their algorithm. Um, essentially, algorithm is like when you see things at certain times, why you see them, what happens when you click on something and then it recommends something else. Mm-hmm. The three creepy men is the personified kind of is a personification of that algorithm so mm-hmm. there are three men at almost like a starship like control table yeah pulling levers pushing buttons and then there's like this weird robotic version of the guy that they're controlling um yeah, like the they're essentially his the phone, phone. Mm-hmm. and there or there here's the thing this is a theory that i have you could argue they have a phone. You could also argue that they're that they're a particular app. The app I think that they're talking about is Facebook. Oh, I thought they were talking about Instagram. No, I well here's the thing: Facebook owns Instagram, so it could right. be a commentary on both. That's true. But because it was like, let's nudge him. Facebook does it all the time. They'll oh, send you yeah. stuff about like, you have a friend suggestion. It's like why, why? Yeah. Like, why are you sending this to me? Mm-hmm. They're basically, you know, he they they'll be they'll say stuff like, he hasn't checked us in two hours. What's going on? Let's nudge him so he skips gets mm-hmm. back on. Then yeah. there's one guy who's trying to figure out what video to show him next, what thing to do, like whatnot. It's a mm-hmm. it's super creepy. Yeah, I think it's creepy for a reason to make you kind of like, oh, that's weird. They're definitely they definitely know more about me than that than. I realize mm-hmm. um, it's it's a weird way to send a message across. I do think it's effective because mm-hmm. it does leave you kind of like, oh, like I look at my phone now. I'm like, there are three creepy men in there just like <laughs> spinning, yeah. you know, controls yeah. and doing all this stuff. So, and I think it gave like a good example on how many notifications you can get a day and what those notifications are necessarily there for. Because I feel like when you download a new app, you know, you can opt in to get notifications, like different types of notifications, and then where they go. Like if they go to your lock screen, your home screen, whatever it is. And there are some apps that just send like random notifications. Like I have the Poshmark app on my phone. And I, they, I, you know, I deleted that app because of the notifications. Yes, it's ridiculous. Like, they send their notifications during the day is a combination of like their posh parties where you like sell your clothes and like you have an opportunity to like sell specific brands and stuff but also just like random quotes that they send throughout the day and it's like a lot of them it's not like one or two it can be like three four five a day i could probably confidently say that 
in the period of time that I had the Poshmark app, which was, I got the Poshmark app right after we went to LF. Remember yeah. that? Mm-hmm. For that, that closing sale? Because yeah. I, Rush and I went to the store. They were doing a big blowout sale. They're really expensive and they were really cheap things. Essentially, if you could stuff a bag, the bag was like $10. Like it was yeah. big. I'm grabbing things that ended up not fitting me. Mm-hmm. I decided to download Poshmark because I was going to sell stuff. I mm-hmm. never did it, probably because I was so turned off by the app. I would be confident in saying that for the period of time, which was probably like two months before I finally was like, screw this. Yeah. The most notifications that I got were from Poshmark. Mm-hmm. And I have several news outlets on my yeah. phone to to keep in touch with what's going on in the world and in the country. Mm-hmm. And Poshmark was more than that and it was like why are you sending me it's ridiculous why do i need to do a quote from an app that's about selling clothes Clothes. that's the thing that didn't make well not even didn't it still doesn't make any sense to me like they sent all these motivational quotes and it's like that's cute i guess but you're a clothing like they have nothing to do with fashion nothing nothing it's just random quotes so that's why that app specifically makes me believe like the notification they're sending is to get you back on the app because there's no way. The only time I go on Poshmark is if someone buys something that I'm selling or I like want to, I'm trying to find this like limited edition clothing piece and see if it's cheaper than what I want to pay so then I can buy it. But for the most part, I'm not going on there to just like look around. So I don't know if that's just like part of their tactics to get people to like stay on the app, but there's nothing to do on the app but shop either. It's just weird. <laughs> like, yeah, no, it's 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 sus. Mm-hmm. I think is the best way to put it. <laughs> um, it's definitely this idea of them trying to pull you back in. Mm-hmm. And I know we were gonna get it at this later, but I feel like we should just bring it up now. Mm-hmm. Notification. So I've been. Here's the thing, you know, when you get like, you know, when you get like you update your phone settings, you get a new phone, you download an app, you will immediately get prompted with something that says, do you want to turn on notifications for this app? Now, there are some apps where I'm like, why do I need notifications from this? Like, I'm trying to think of an example of an app where I was like, I don't need notifications. Um, I can't think of it right now. I'll look through my phone while I talk, but, um, it was just, it was odd. Okay, Google Drive. That's an example. Oh, there we go. Now, I understand where that would be useful if you have Google Drive connected to like a work account and people are constantly sharing documents with you and whatnot. Okay, maybe mm-hmm. that might be a little too much and too overwhelming, to be mm-hmm. honest. Yeah. Um, just like if you have an overactive email. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been very careful recently to only turn notifications on for certain things that I know I want them for. Mm-hmm. Um, I did the mistake very early on of like, I don't care. You're never going to send me a notification. And then it was like, boom, 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 boom. And it was like, why? Why? Yeah. Um, for the longest times, I had Twitter notifications off mm-hmm. um, because sometimes they bombard me with weird things. Mm. Like, breaking news in my area that I didn't really care about. Yeah. Um, my Instagram comments, I, I have turned off likes mm. for my, cause I've 
different Instagram accounts because obviously we have like the podcast account, we have our food account, mm-hmm. and then I have like personal my personal account. Yeah. So I get like like notifications for the food account and the podcast account. I don't get like notifications for my own account. Mm-hmm. One because it fills up my screen and it's annoying. I don't really care who's liking my pictures. Mm-hmm. I'm more interested in comments. That may sound bad, but I feel like that's more interesting than like who liked it. No, that honestly, now that I'm thinking about it, turning off likes is so, ugh, some may disagree. I think it's pretty healthy to do. It makes you realize you don't care that about you the number. Need, yeah, you don't need to worry about the freaking number. You don't need to worry about like, like outside gratification is that the word like from also interestingly enough i then forget that i posted a photo because i'm not getting notifications that people are liking it then the next time say like this happened once two hours later i logged into instagram Mm -hmm. and saw okay i've got like 90 likes and i was like oh i uploaded a photo i completely forgot because i Mm -hmm. turned off notifications yeah um so I'd, i'd recommend that to people to see if you like it yeah um helps you obsess less over the Instagram likes. And the thing is, I was not really, Russia can tell you this, I'm not really someone who cares about that stuff anyway. Yeah, she does not care. Um, I don't care. Um, I'm not the kind of person who deletes a photo because it didn't get a number of likes. Yeah. That was something that was in the film. Um, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that notifications are a tricky game and people need to pay por- more attention to them. Yeah. No, that's so true. Well, I think I'm going to do that. I like that. Do it because I, it, one, your phone doesn't just boom, no, 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 Because that gets so annoying. And then you have to clear everything. Because I'm like, thank y'all for liking my photo, but like, can y'all relax? Just a little bit. Yeah. And then you're not looking to see like, oh, did he like it? Exactly. Really? Exactly. And comments you know are nice because you know you get friends that are hyping you up on photos or you know whatever it is that you posted um but i highly recommend that to people as kind of a way to maybe try to if you're not comfortable completely weaning yourself off social media weaning yourself off of some elements of it that are not healthy yeah um and then facebook i have no notifications for (laughs) yeah my friends post memes that's in my entire facebook feed now it's great. I only go on to to read that. Mm-hmm. Like I don't I don't want to know it's blah blah blah's birthday. Yeah, I really don't care. <laughs> so play around. Unless I you. forgot your birthday and I need to go check. Only reason why I'm going right. right. And if it's like if you're my friend, I'm not going. I'm not going to forget. Anymore. I have it written down in my paper calendar. <laughs> yeah. So no, but I'm so glad you said that because I feel like I know we're like jumping around. I'm so sorry, <laughs> but. I feel like it kind of goes into the topic of mental health a little bit because, like I said before, I feel like people sort of use, like, their likes, sometimes their comments as, like, I don't know if you could say, like, instant gratification. Like, they're looking for, I guess, that sort of, like, sense of self through other people. And I feel like when you turn off the likes and you don't see them right away, you sort of just like, you're still living your life and you're not like, I posted a photo, okay, now I'm going to have my phone right by my face for the next two hours to make sure that I get like 300 likes or something. 
Right. Yeah. That's what I, you know, I don't think it can be disputed at this point. Social media has it has had a tremendous effect on mental health. Mm-hmm. And I think that definitely the instant gratification is something that we've never had before. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's in our hand at all times mm-hmm. is both a wonderful and dangerous thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they talked about this in um, the documentary, but the idea of filters. Now, mm-hmm. I have very specific opinions on filters. Me too, girl. We're in this together. <laughs> yeah. If you have Facetune on your phone, what the fuck are you doing? I hate to say that, but why does that app even exist? Mm -hmm. Because why are you squeezing in your cheekbones so you have almost an alien face? No one's face looks like that. Exactly. Because then what if you have – and we talked about this in our first episode. If you've been here since day one, you know that. But that is not authentic. Nope. It – if you have a following and you were doing that and there are these young TikTokers, um, Instagram models that do this, mm-hmm. someone that you that is following you who's a young girl most likely is going to see that, then be like, oh my God, I have to look like that. So yeah. let me stop eating. So my face sinks in and that's not what they should be doing. Yeah. Um, you know, I think filters that are like, I have hearts around my face or mm-hmm. um, I'm in black and white. My favorite filter on Snapchat right now mm-hmm. is the pug one. It puts a pug on your shoulder. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Also, there's one where a pigeon is on your head. Oh, no. And I just think those are funny. Like, I like those. Yeah. Or that period of time where everyone was doing, like, the question ones. Oh, yeah. Like, what state are you? Like, those mm-hmm. are cool. Those are fun, yeah. Not the ones that make you, mm-hmm. like, sink in your face. Um, somebody that I follow made an Instagram filter, and I thought it was really cool at first. Yeah. Then I noticed that the filter made your eyes blue. And I was like, that's mm-hmm. kind of odd. What's wrong with not having blue eyes? Yeah. Like, I just felt like that was a weird choice. Like, mm-hmm. the rest of the filter was fine. Why do you have to change eye color? Yeah. So I just, you know, and I just, I think that I understand if you have a pimple on your face and you want to to zap it out, that's fine. But please don't shrink the size of your head. Exactly. We can see that. Mm -hmm. Don't try to sink in your hip. We can see where you altered the photo because it curves a little weird. No pool looks like that. If you're posting bikini photos and I can see a little dent, you've been caught. Like exactly. these Instagram models are constantly shrinking their heads to make it look disproportionate from the rest of their body. And it's just weird. Yeah. You don't look cute. You look weird. <laughs> no, that's so true. Like, like exactly what you said about like the whole pimple thing. Like, okay, if it's like one little thing on your face or, you know, maybe your dark circles is not hidden that day. You know, I, I fully understand my dark circles are terrible. And you want to, you know, just like shh, a little little something something but don't go ahead shrinking or expanding lips and noses and foreheads and ears and shifting them like just leave yourself alone and I think the whole thing about the new Instagram filters that like people can create now because anyone can really create an Instagram filter on Instagram stories if they want to is the fact that there are some people 
who literally cannot be on Instagram stories without a face altering filter. Let's talk about it. Because, oh, what? It aggravates me so much because I'm just like, I don't understand why. Okay, you don't have on makeup. Okay. Why do you have to have a filter on your face all the time? There's so many people that do that. And I'm just like, what is wrong with you? It's like the ones that like make their eyes bigger and adds eyelashes. And then they like make their skin smooth and they make their lips bigger. And then their nose like pointy, like, like baby face ones or like, yeah, baby, baby face, face looks like so weird. dumb. You don't look like that. Stop it. And it's crazy to me because my friend and I were having this conversation, like probably like a, a month or two ago about how you can take a picture on Instagram stories, right? Mm-hmm. With the filter on, screenshot it, and post it. And nobody would know you had a filter on your face. People would think that's what your face looked like. And I think that part pisses me off so much because it's like people can post these altered photos and people would think, oh my God, that's what they look like all the time. But in reality, they have a face altering filter from Instagram stories on their face. And you would think that's just what they look like. See, and that's a problem. And I didn't even realize you can do that. Not that I'm ever going to because mm-hmm. why? That's so much effort, first of all. Like, yeah. Like, what? Exactly. Um, I never, I maybe will tone up like brightness or mm-hmm. like, maybe that's it on my photos. I don't touch them. Yeah. None. Literally, I don't touch my photos. Mm-hmm. Um, but this gets into another point. We're literally jumping all over this planning document. That's okay. This, we should go back up to the top. But <laughs> Gen Z and social media is something I'm very concerned about. So we talked about Gen Z before on this podcast, just for clarification, Gen Z is technically the generation born at 1997. I think there's a stopping point. I don't know where the stopping point is, Um, but I don't agree with that definition Mm -hmm. because I was born in 1997, Rosh was born in 1998. I don't believe that we are part of Gen Z. I think we are part of, if we're not millennials, we should be in a small bracket that's 1997 to 1999 and we're called post-millennials. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, be, and here's why I think there should be a differentiation. Yeah. That was not English. That's okay. There's a difference. They know what you mean. <laughs> Young Gen Z got social media at a younger age than old Gen Z did because my I had AIM I don't know if you had AIM no no I I was confused I didn't know how to figure it out so I just said it was dumb I'm just gonna point that out it was literally just like before text messaging was really a thing that was what we did okay okay yeah I was not trying to figure that out people was telling me I was like "Mm -mm, this too much I had AIM that I didn't do much of it I thought it was hot shit I wasn't we got, you know, email. I had like a kid's AOL email. I thought it was the shit. Um, I had AIM, you know. You remember Facebook. Kick? I never had Kick. Kick was hilarious. Okay. You kick got was- Kick? <laughs> What's your Kick? Oh my God. Anyway, so we got social media. I was not allowed to have a Facebook until I was 13. My mom made that very, very clear. Mm-hmm. Facebook back then is nothing like Facebook now. Nope. Um, I don't even think kids younger Gen Z 
ever had Facebook, Facebook because yeah. it's less of a thing with younger kids now. Yeah. But, you know, we got social media at a different age. I would be confident in saying that most of our peers probably got more into social media at the beginning of high school because yeah. that's when Snapchat happened and Instagram first came out and all you could do on Instagram was post a photo. You couldn't even post a video. Nope. Um, and you had crappy, horrible filters and that was it. This you is pre this This is pre-photo editing apps. Like this yeah, is this is like, that's a fact. Pre-photo editing apps. You had to post original. You couldn't do nothing with these photos. You but could make you, the photo black and white. You could make yourself look burnt out, but that was all you could do. Yep. You could put a little border around it to make it look like it was a Polaroid, but that was oh, yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Um that is a very different social media than what young people have now yeah younger people now have a social media where these new things are everything is new Mm -hmm. the idea of altering your appearance the idea of setting videos the idea of having instagram stories instagram live tiktok and the abilities there um there is so much there and there's not this slow progression that's happening at the same time that you are getting older and hopefully maturing and that is the differentiation here we yep. matured as our social media matured, which yep. I don't know if matured is the right word, but grew and expanded. Yeah. Um, you know, Instagram got video and then mm-hmm. longer video and then stories at a time where we were old enough, where it was coming less of an issue about how it affected our mental health. Yeah. Yes, social media still affects our mental health, but I don't think it's even a rate of younger individuals and that yeah. freaks me the fuck out yeah because i couldn't imagine Mm-mm. getting social media and having a tool that will allow people one to comment on my appearance i can alter my appearance i can see unhealthy expectations of beauty i can see abusive content online like i just it's a lot all at once compared exactly. to a gradual pace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I totally agree with literally everything you just said because you said everything's spot on. Like, I think the part that annoys me the most too is just like when people call us like Gen Z or whatever, they like think that we're like these 13-year-olds. And I'm like, we are 22, 23. They are 13. Like, the, it's only 10, 9 or 10 years but so much happened in those nine or 10 years that really makes a difference. And I don't think people that are like older than us really realize that. Like exactly what you just said, not going to go too deep into it because you literally just said it, but it's like, we grew up as social media grew. They had everything when they were of like 13, 14 years old. Like these kids don't have to worry about, oh my gosh, Instagram is going to update and have this new feature. Instagram has all the freaking features already. Like there's nothing exciting for them to look forward to and not saying that these apps need to come up, come out with anything else, but it's like, we were excited about these new things and we waited for these new things. And now they have everything they could ever want on their phone. Okay. So I just Googled Gen Z to get a range of, exactly how many years this is the problem here russia you're no one can see us 
mm-hmm. your jaw is going to drop. The age range for Gen Z is 23. So I'm going to be 23 next month. Ew. Um, two, eight. So Stop that. Stop it right now. The cutoff is 2015. That's the problem. You can't loop those two ages it's in together. Too you cannot loop time. early 20s and with someone who's not even 10, who's not even reached double digits. Yeah, that's that's wrong. Okay, it's not technically wrong, but in my head it's wrong, and I know Niela thinks it's wrong. Like, these people need to come up with a new little they need we're the post millennials i'm gonna just start calling us that because to be honest with you it doesn't make sense that we're gen z and i don't understand how they can compare a 23 year old to an eight-year-old like i past two summers have worked with young children and some of these kids have already had phones and i've been shook by that Mm -hmm. because they're in like third grade and i'm like why do you have a phone um like i have an apple watch i'm like why do you have an apple watch like that is just it makes no sense that is why i'm more concerned like eight i thought we were talking like 12 13 eight exactly exactly this is the problem too is that this is the last point because this episode is gonna be long i'm warning you now the other issue here is parents having to decide when do i give my child technology because the difference here also is that we Mm-hmm. We're born into a time period where technology. technology was really like, you had a home phone, which is not mm-hmm. a big thing now. Nope. Um, and a computer. And that computer was thick. Mm-hmm. Thick. You had a thick TV, too. None of this flat screen. Yeah. You know, I had a box TV phone. for so long. <laughs> so long. It took begging on my knees to get a flat screen. <laughs> I tell you. Like, I remember the first laptop I ever used that my parents had. It was thick. Yep. Thick like, and I, heavy. like, I'm looking at my MacBook Pro now. This stuff, this is thin. Like, that's the other thing is that technology, not only like social media, but technology advanced mm-hmm. with us. Yep. We were in the fourth and fifth grade when the first iPhone came out. Yep, exactly. Like, they're being born into iphone 10 like exactly what i remember when i had an iphone 3g okay that i remember was... that the theme here is that old technology was thick with four c's Literally. but that's the thing we had to learn how to use technology just like everybody else because everyone was learning mm-hmm. that the younger edge of gen z needs to learn what everybody else already knows mm-hmm. it's crazy to me in an environment where people are using ipads iphones apple watches mm-hmm. computers every single day technology is advancing we're relying on it so much more mm-hmm. than we ever did before i don't think anyone ever thought that they would have a phone that was a whole screen no buttons except volume home maybe mm-hmm. and a side button you could do and everything on there. You could do with a laptop. Yeah. Right. And parent has to decide whether to introduce that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I just, like, I can't wrap my, my mind around it. And I thought it was so interesting in the documentary how most, no, I don't, I'm not even going to say most. It was all of them. 
all of the people that worked at these tech companies before said that they don't let their kids on social media. Do you remember that woman who said whose kids were talking about their looking at their screen time? Yes, six seven hours. I know my. Sc- I mean, I could pull it up and let y'all know. It's not no. the best. Let's just expose ourselves, Russia. But look, I don't here's the thing: I will say in defense of my screen time, most of my screen time. Well, this actually isn't good. No. My top three apps are TikTok, Twitter, and Netflix. Netflix, though, because I have a Chromecast in my room, and I watch TV, and that's how I watch TV. Mm -hmm. It's not super awful, but Twitter mm, and TikTok, mm, and then Instagram, New York Times, and then my Chrome browser. Mine right now is six hours and 42 minutes. Mine's six hours and 55. Mm, twin. Look at us. Oh, wait. That's my average. What's your first today? Six hours and 44. Okay, mine's four hours and 32. My daily average is six hours and 41. Yeah, our daily average is about the same. Yeah, I feel like it. Oh, and my entire for the week is there too. Oh, snap. 26 hours and 44 minutes. But that's actually not that bad. 40 minutes. Because that's only a little bit more than a day. Yeah. I feel like there are people out there with like 200 hours. Yeah, exactly. No, that's so true. But I think it was interesting to hear like the tech people say that they don't let their kids use social media when they were kind of the ones that created it. But I think it's so important and I hope that a lot of parents listen to this part. Like it comes down to the developmental ages of your children right okay that probably made no sense but i'm about to break it down okay there's a certain time in your childhood where your brain is really developing right are you gonna let your kid use the ipad all the time and learn nothing and not use their hands and you know not learn how to count not learn how to spell whatever or are you going to buy your kids toys where they can learn what a square is and they can learn what an elephant is and how to spell it and all these things? Like, you can see the difference between kids whose parents don't let them use the laptop or their phone or a tablet for extended periods of time versus people who let their kids use the iPad all the time. Like, they can just pick it up whenever. Like the development in how fast they learn how to read on a certain level, how many words they know at a certain age, like it changes from how you approach technology and social media with your kids. Well, the interesting thing is I've babysat for some families mm-hmm. that have specifically asked to not show their kids screens. Yeah. Like no iPad, no TV, like, they're very strict about it. Yeah. Then you've got those parents when, you know, back when we could sit in restaurants safely, who would pull out an iPad to calm their child sitting at a table at a fancy restaurant that their kid shouldn't even be at, and it was, like, an impulse. Every time I saw that, I wanted to literally go over and grab the iPad out of the kid's hand and be like your kid is never gonna learn if they're staring at a freaking ipad all day 
Like, your kid may not be able to conversate with y'all, but just let the baby be. Let the kid be. Like, you don't have to always put something in front of a child in order to keep them entertained. Like, I've seen kids on subways make grabby hands at their their parents' phones because it's like, you have games and I want to play games. Like, I wish the kid have a full-on meltdown to his mom yeah. why he couldn't play a certain game. This woman, I, like, gave her a side eye because I was like, you're smart. She told him that he couldn't play the game because it gave her phone a virus, which, <laughs> if you know anything about apps, they don't really do that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And, like, I know that, and she knows that, but he's so young that he doesn't know that. Yeah. And I was like, that's a genius way, but it's, like, sad that you have to lie to your kid. Exactly. He's going to grow up and be like, Mom, you were lying. Mm-hmm. But, like, that's what it's come to. Yeah. It should never come down to that. And it's sad because it's, like, once you give your kid, like, a certain amount of hours on the iPad or using your phone or whatever, they're going to get so accustomed to that they're going to get quote-unquote addicted, <laughs> like a lot of us are, and they're going to want to have it all the time. And when kids are young like that, they should not be on screens. They have no reason to be on screens as much as we are. They have no reason. There's plenty of books, plenty of toys, plenty of activities that don't involve screens for children. Okay, so one thing that they kind of touched on in the documentary as well were like laws regulating technology so an example that they gave that i thought was really interesting was like okay your phone carriers and like who you have your phone plan with they have all this information about you but they can't use a lot of the data because of certain laws that are in effect right but they mm-hmm. don't have those specific laws for like technology companies so like technology companies can really take a lot of the data that they collect from your usage, how many times you look at a specific app, how long you look at photos, do you zoom in, do you zoom out? They can use all of that information, these technology apps, whereas certain other things like your phone company can't use certain data that they have on you. And I thought it was interesting because I never really thought about it in sort of like a policy sort of law way in the sense that they could legitimately make laws that they can't take this data from us but yeah so yeah it's definitely really interesting it's also kind of scary when you think about it mm-hmm. like for example there's been a lot of conversation recently about google mm-hmm. because google is everyone's search term i mean google it i'm gonna yeah. google it google it that is such a verb now. Like, I'm sorry, Bing tried to be a thing, but it just wasn't. Nope. Like, Bing it. it. No. Like, ask.com was a thing for a while, and then it just disappeared. Oh, yeah. There has not, like, Google, like, my, I use Google Chrome. Mm -hmm. Like. Exactly. A lot of people do, you know. Google has a lockdown. (laughs) Gmail. Google Drive um google, google drive is like the best thing ever invented I'm just literally and the guy gmail. that created it he was like a co-creator was talking in the documentary yeah tristan harris <laughs> oh you remember his name <laughs> i just remembered it because he was like it's tristan and i was like <laughs> tristan. 
Tristan sounds kind of like douchey, but we're not. He's he's not a douche. Um. Anyway, Google has a lot of power. I mean, the things we just listed. Like, I think Google owns YouTube. I could be wrong, but yes, like they do. Yeah, because it's one of their listed things. See, right there. So much access. So much that if you think about it too long, it will scare the crap out of you and you'll never want to use Google again. But yeah. look at how much access they have mm-hmm. in our lives. Um, it's scary. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I believe there's a recent news thing about them basically being called out for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and stifling their possible competitors, which nobody knows about because it's Google. Yeah. Um, and this summer, in light of COVID, mm-hmm. there was some hearings in Congress with the House Judiciary Committee with um, four big tech companies. Mm-hmm. So Amazon, Facebook, Apple, and Google. They were trying to figure out whether they have violated, violated antitrust laws. Mm-hmm. So just to give a, like, a brief rundown about antitrust, essentially antitrust is like being the biggest of the biggest of the biggest. Mm-hmm. So like, buying up smaller things under you so that you like have more control, like trying to prevent that. Yeah. So for instance, I don't know if anyone kept track of this, um AT&T and Time Warner for a very long time were working on a deal to mm-hmm. combine. Oh yes, I remember. That was potentially a violation of antitrust laws and it did go through um which makes it a huge company because AT&T is a major cellular provider. Yeah. Time Warner owns a shit ton of things. Exactly. They own HBO. They own CNN. They own a bunch of um, TV networks. I mean, it was like a huge thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it potentially could have problems in the long run. Who knows? So the House Judiciary Committee found, or they didn't find, but they have criticized these companies. I'll, I'm reading from The Verge. Mm-hmm. Um, these companies for buying competitors. So Facebook bought Instagram. That was listed as them buying a competitor, preferencing their own services and holding outside power over smaller businesses that use their platforms. Our investigation revealed an alarming pattern of business practices that degrade competition and stifle innovation, said committee member Val Demings. Competition must reward the best idea, not the biggest corporate account. We will take steps necessary to hold rule breakers accountable. I mean, if you just look at like, the share numbers, like the stock numbers for some of these companies, it's ridiculous. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, Apple's stock is astronomical. Facebook, Amazon, like, yeah. So, you know, I think it's going to be hard. Techno- Here's the thing. This kind of technology, is it's still kind of new. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say it, but it is. Yeah. It, going to be hard to find ways to regulate it yeah exactly because where's the constitutional basis there's nothing in the constitution about technology of this kind of magnitude yeah and i hate to say this the amount of innovation technology is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and arguably have a worst 
impact on life. Yeah. So. That's so true. And it's crazy, like, to just think about how in the world would they even regulate some of this technology? Like, some of these apps are so, I mean, I guess you could sort of say all of the apps are, quote unquote, relatively the same. But how would you, like, what are you going to say? Like, okay, you can't monitor how long someone looks at a photo or you can't nudge people anymore or you can't like, how would the law go into effect where it doesn't just cover one app? It covers all of the apps or it covers two or three of the big apps. Like, how are they going to write these laws in order to, in order for it to apply to all of the apps that people are using. I don't, that's the thing that I'm confused about. Like, how are they going to write that? Because I feel like the law would have to be so vague that there would somehow be a loophole. (laughs) Like, well, I don't know. That's an interesting thing. That's where I think there's an issue in trying to cover everything. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's like, do you go bigger? Do you go small in trying to regulate? And will it pass? Mm-hmm. Because tech companies will lobby hard. They're like drug companies, yeah. unfortunately. They will lobby hard to get what they want. Yeah. Lobbying has ruined a lot of things and potential for a lot of things. Um, you know, that's how the opioid crisis happened, yeah. unfortunately. Big Pharma had a lot of, had a lot of control. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think big tech is just like it. So, yeah. yeah. Wait, what was that quote? It's in here. You got to say it because you just said that thing. Oh, <laughs> we might as well then talk about this. Okay. So there, there are two quotes. There are a bunch of quotes that are referenced in this documentary, but there are two that really stood out to me. The first one is, There are only two markets that refer to customers as users, illegal drugs and software. Mm -hmm. Now stop, take a moment, let that really sink in. Like, think about it. It's fucked up, right? Yeah. Like, you shouldn't loop those two things in together, but it makes sense. Talk about, like, we've got this many users, we have this many users, we have this many users. Like, it kind of sounds at, like, first glance kind of abstract and then you really think about it and it's like holy shit yeah and the idea they're getting at in that sense and something that's connected to it is persuasive technology this idea of like we're talking about the nudging and the you know trying to entice people back to whatever you've created Mm -hmm. they talked about so you know the rush you get which I personally don't get this, and it was kind of a weird foreign thing to me. The idea of some people get a rush from constantly scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and what's going to be when you scroll and what's going to be there when you see it or refreshing the screen and what's going to happen is the same rush that people get when they play slot machines in Vegas. The idea of this is going to be the one, this is going to be the money one. Yeah, I'm going to get it. That is the same kind of gears in your brain working that's sad yeah that there are people out there 
who are like, oh my God, what's going to be there? Oh, I just love this, this rush I get from scrolling and what's, who's going to post <laughs> what, like that. That's concerning. <laughs> but that's part of how they have lured people in. Yeah. If you were one of those people, you are making these companies so much money. Mm-hmm. So much money. And it was crazy when they said in the, the um, documentary that technology companies are probably the richest companies that have ever existed. Let that sink in your brain. Marinate. Existed. Like the richest companies that have ever existed. That's crazy. These companies don't need that much money. They like, don't. Mark Zuckerberg was a college student when he created Facebook. Think about how much fucking money he has now. Like, what are they going to do with all of that? Ruin us. You know you're right. <laughs> That's what they're doing. <laughs> so as you guys know, there were a lot of quotes throughout the movie. Is it a movie? Is it a documentary? Same thing. Okay. A documentary can be a movie, so it's a movie. Okay, because I just confused myself. Um, And one of those quotes was, if you aren't paying for the product, you are the product. And that was probably one of the first quotes in the movie. Like, it was towards the beginning of the documentary. And it honestly, like, when I first saw it come on the screen and I read it, I was like, whoa. I never thought about it like that. Like, if you're not paying for something, then what is the purpose of you using it, you know? When you think about it that way, you're like, wow, like, I'm like an experiment. That's kind of how I, like, thought about it. Like, I'm an experiment. I am being analyzed without even realizing I'm being analyzed. Right. So they interview not only people who've worked at companies in this movie, but they, they actually interview some professors Mm-hmm. both in business and psychology because those are like two big things that actually are more i think like intricately involved than people realize yeah um because business is really about people's trying to get at people's wants and desires exactly. um so so shoshana zuboff who is a professor at harvard she wrote a book called the age of surveillance capitalism mm-hmm. honestly i think i'm gonna read it there was another book the that was also mentioned that I'm going to read after mm-hmm. watching this um, film. But surveillance capitalism is an economic system centered around the commodification of personal data with the core purpose of profit making. So in simple terms, taking personal data and being able to sell it to make a profit. Because if you've ever wondered, I don't pay for Facebook, I don't pay for Snapchat, I don't pay for Instagram, I don't pay for Twitter. How are they making money? Mm-hmm. That since personal data can be commodified, it's become one of the most valuable resources on earth. Think about that. That's fucking scary. Yeah. Um, so essentially, it's also using your data to target you. And here is the thing. It is less about selling your data to companies. It's more about using your data to determine things about you to then help companies sell to you. Mm-hmm. So, weirdly enough, four years ago, during last, n- nearing the last presidential election, I was having a conversation with my roommate where she told me that fa- if you like go deep into Facebook settings, 
and I wish that I had figured out how to do it before we recorded this. But to go deep into Facebook settings, you can see all the things that they have determined about you mm. just from the stuff you like, you post, you look at, whatnot. Mm-hmm. Like they can determine where you lie politically and not just like Republican, Democrat, like moderate Democrat, really left leaning Democrat, mm-hmm. super right wing Republican. Like they can figure that out. Yeah. They then use that information to help businesses target you. And that's where the money comes into play mm-hmm. because then those businesses are paying to advertise on these sites. And you know, it's like, yeah. it's insane. You think about any of this for too long, it'll make your head spin. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, just like keep that quote in your mind. If you aren't paying for the product, you are the product. Exactly. And I think it's so crazy because it always reminds me, especially since hearing this um, quote, how spot on these Instagram ads be. Bruh, I'm scrolling through my feed and it seems like every Instagram ad is something that I would legitimately buy, you know? And I'm like, how? Like, I would always question like, wow, this is crazy. Like, how did they know I like this type of bag? Or like, I really like matching sweatsuits. Like, how do they know these things, you know? And it's like, people love to say, they're listening. But it's like, it's also the things that you're liking, how long you're looking at things. Like, they could have seen you like 50 pictures with matching sweatsuits, and then maybe you spent 20 20 seconds looking at some girl's sweatsuit. Of course they're going to send you a sweatsuit ad because clearly you like them, you know? But it's that stuff that's like, whoa. Like everything you do, like if you like a recipe, if you like some local restaurant you live by, they'll start throwing ads from all these different places. And like, I also look at it in a different side because I guess like it could be because I work in PR now too, that you do want what you're paying for on social like paid social to be extremely targeted so that way you're turning those people into customers and they buy your product but it's also like does it really need to be that specific right because in the documentary they showed i guess you could say like the three creepy guys they're sort of building that like personal persona that the company has on you, right? The things you like, the things you don't like, your interests, your values, blah, 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 blah. And like, yeah, it's important to have those things. And like when people are paying to advertise on your app, like they want to make sure that their product, their service, whatever it is, is in front of the right audience. But why does it need to be that specific? But also the other element they got at is the idea of also altering your likes, interests, behavior for the profit of companies. It's not just about what you already like. It's about changing it. That's why there has been a trend of radicalization online. People seeing things, changing their beliefs, and falling into this wormhole of stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. Only having, having like that. tunnel vision and just like blinders on and just mm-hmm. you know 
only seeing that. So it's like there's two sides to the coin, both icky. Like, and I know this is more of like a cookies thing in like mm-hmm. computers, but like I a lot of the time will. So for instance, last time, last year around this time, I was I decided that I wanted to buy merch from one of my favorite artists, and I couldn't decide which one. Mm-hmm. So I was like browsing at different ones. And I went on John Mayer's website and I looked at some of his sweaters and I liked them. So mm-hmm. I put one in my cart. Mm-hmm. Didn't do anything with it. Nothing. For the next week straight, all my ads were John Mayer merch and the exact sweater that I had put in my merch cart. Oh my God. And I was like, this is creepy. Exactly. Like I get that they're trying to nudge me. Our new word, favorite word this week. <laughs> They're trying to nudge me to buy it, which I did end up buying it. It's the comfiest sweater I own. But, you know, like, it was weird. Mm-hmm. Like, why is it the ad on every side I go on? Yeah. Every side I go on. I also have an ad blocker on my computer. It's a life changer. Um, and annoyingly, some sites will be like, you have to turn off your ad blocker to look at our site. And I'm like, don't tell me what to do. But then I do it. Um, but on some streaming websites where you pay for a, um, this is a life hack. So I'm putting you on some streaming sites where you pay for a plan that has limited commercials. The ad blocker completely eliminates commercials. Mm, it did that on my Peacock. Notes with my post-its. <laughs> so. I wrote that down. Um, but yeah, no, I just, it, there are two sides to that coin of, you know, targeting someone because you know they like these things and also this idea of let's change it a little bit. Let's over time change how this person thinks and, and writes and believes and spends money on like, you know, for mm-hmm. a, a reason. And that is scary. That is yeah. really fucking scary. Yeah. And the documentary did show a perfect example. I mean, it was a bit dramatized, but I also think that it wasn't in a sense of how one of the siblings in that family, the boy, he went, he like got convinced that he believed in like this extremist view just from like things he started to see online and then ends up we going know to- that was essentially a toned down version of QAnon, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then ends up going to this rally. And almost and like, almost being killed. Like, <laughs> yeah. that was a little, like, extra part. But the rest of it was very accurate. Because that happens to people. Mm-hmm. Um, I've read a lot of articles about young white men being radicalized on YouTube. Yeah, exactly. So, it's real, guys. Yeah. And it it's how people's views change and they're not even realizing it's happening. That's scary, too. So, not only is, you know, social media maybe changing our behavior, but is it decreasing our attention span? I truthfully believe that, yes, that is true. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't believe that I've been affected by this at all. Um, I, I just, I, the fact this is a thing is just like, seriously, Mm -hmm. because I feel like we are not good examples 
of people we're not we're not even good we are not examples of people that are addicted Mm -hmm. to social media or i feel like we both can put it down and like not look at it like it's right next to me and i'm not like oh my god like there's a scene in the movie with the with the boy (laughs) where he's in class and he's like he's like looking at his phone and i've had this only when I'm expecting an important email. I'm expecting a phone call. I'm expecting a text message. Like I think it vibrates and it's only because I think that person's about to respond to me. Not anytime else where like, I'm just chilling. Exactly. Like next to me. Like I'm not like, oh my God, has there been any news? No, nothing. Like the fact that that's an actual thing for people, I'm like, seriously? Yeah. It's so weird. Like, I know a few people, like, I'm not friends with them, but their attention span is ridiculous. Like, you could be trying to have a conversation with them, and it's, like, every five seconds, like, they'll have their phone. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, listen to someone when they're talking to you, or, like, I'm not about to have a conversation with you. I cannot deal with stuff like that. Like, especially, I feel like people in our age generation, like, late teen early 20s there should be no reason why you cannot hold a conversation without having your phone next to you without having your phone in your hand like or you have a problem with like communicating verbally it's concerning like I don't understand how there are people who legitimately cannot have verbal conversations because they're so used to having conversations on their phone whether it's a phone call whether it's FaceTime whether it's text message they don't know how to hold a conversation there are plenty of people out there who because they're so used to their phones when they have to talk to someone in real life they cannot hold a conversation because they're not used to having to continue a conversation back and forth they're just used to the pauses of text message right I think what's also interesting Mm -hmm. is not only how you know, someone who's like, like, okay, this is a very specific thing where I'm confused by it. People who post on like, and I know this is probably like younger people because I don't know anyone our age that does this. Mm-hmm. You know, people who used to like post on Snapchat, they'd be like, who wants to FaceTime? Like, just like, like you have to be well, on with a random person because you just have to be on your phone. Like that kind of thing. Or just, you yeah. know. Like, you can't, and then you can't have a conversation with this person because they're probably just, like, in their phone, and they're not doing anything. They're probably just scrolling through their feed. But the point I was going to get at is, and I know you're going to have an opinion about about this, Russia. Mm-hmm. People who can't send proper emails because they're too embedded in shorthand text message code. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. I'm going to keep mine short because I could talk about this for days. It's getting to a point where, and it's funny because I, <laughs> my mom gets mad at me with that when I like correct her on like how to pronounce certain things. And she's like, stop telling me what to do. Blah, blah, blah. And the reason why I feel like I do it so much is because I feel like now, especially not just younger people, but also just like adults too they are so lax in certain situations when 
in reality, if you have to go outside, if you have to be in a professional setting, if you have to talk to someone and you start using shorthand or you start mispronouncing things because, oh, you just want to be lazy, you're going to start sounding stupid, to be honest, that I don't know how else to should like make it sound nice like you want to and I feel like even teachers used to emphasize this to us like when you're texting people like don't always use shorthand like use like complete sentences sometimes or like use complete words or like make sure that you're always pronouncing things properly so that way your mind doesn't become accustomed to saying things a certain way or writing things a certain way where when you get to an environment where you have to say things a certain way, your mind can't switch on, okay, I'm not going to say gotta, I'm going to say I got to or whatever it is. Like there's some people that are so accustomed to, you know, shorthand or slang or whatever it is that they can't differentiate when they go into a professional setting or they're trying to speak to someone and sound proper that what they're saying is not grammatically correct or is not English, you know? (laughs) There's so many people like that. People in college that I knew who were like that, they could not like switch. It could it was not switching off and it was concerning because I'm like, you're old enough where this should be like, okay, if I'm writing an email, I'm going to write complete sentences. I'm going to write properly. And if I'm texting my friends, I'll write something else. Then you're not going to start an email with, hey. What? No. Hi or hello. Most of the time I would just stick to hi. Hello's a little too stiff. Yeah. Um, hi, you know, a nice, you know, introduction, you know, hit them with a, I look forward to hearing from you and then hit them with a best regards, my, the end of your name. Like, don't yeah. email someone, hey, put sent, put periods between things. Capitalize the beginning of your sentences. You aren't sending someone a text. Exactly. Like, yeah. capitalize I. Mm-hmm. I got emails before when I was in college and I worked at the paper, like people emailing, like I lowercase, excuse me. I know that we're both students, but don't expect that I'm going to think that that's fine. Yeah. Like don't get into that pattern. I'm surprised by the amount of people who can't email properly because they're stuck in shorthand. Yeah. Exactly. And so then I understand the argument why people are like texting has ruined our sense of communication skills and why our professor, when we learned grammar, talked about why, you know, less, and less of us understand grammar because we're so used to these shorthand, grammatically incorrect ways of talking. Exactly. Like, you know, I'm going to correct you if you use whom when you're supposed to use who. I'm sorry. I, it's ingrained in me now. I'm, ju- I'm just going to do it. No, but the thing is, it's like, People get mad when you do things like that to people or do things like that to them, right? But it's like, at the end of the day, would you rather me say it to you or would you rather a stranger say it to you? I'm helping you in the long run. I'm not trying to embarrass you. I'm trying to help you so that when you're in an interview and you say something 
wrong or you say something grammatically incorrect or whatever it is that you don't look dumb and that you already have the knowledge to know i need to correct this like and i think social media is a part of that problem of getting people used to a lazy way of doing things let's just be honest no yeah that's what it makes people lazy and not want to communicate fully and want to communicate half-assed that's really what it is so if you combine that with a you can't communicate properly through written response plus you can't respond you can't communicate properly in person and you're getting all jittery and weird because you don't have your phone and it's not a good combo nope like thank god we're doing zoom interviews now because i just feel like some people would not look good <laughs> like i exactly it won't kill you to turn your phone on do not disturb for an hour it's a beautiful thing Bruh. i did it all the time in college this is something i'm just gonna say i never understood the people in college who went into a class and were on their phone I took a lot of professors in college who had very strict rules about when you should be on your phone. And it was when the class was over. Period. They would take your phone and they would mark you absent for the day. Like that was threatened several times. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, why do you have to be on your phone? I would go into class, turn my phone on, do not disturb. Do you know why I did that? So that I didn't even have to feel it vibrate Mm-hmm. In my pocket. I didn't even keep it in my pocket. I put it in my bag so it was out of sight, out of mind. Exactly. Do not disturb is a beautiful thing. Unfortunately, it's kind of sucky if someone's trying to get in touch with you and, you know, yeah. and he goes to voicemail, which happened a couple times. And I was like, hey, I was in class. Yeah. Or, you know, you hit them with a, they're trying to FaceTime you, you hit them with a response. It's like one of those where you can put in the immediate text that's oh, going yeah, yeah. Like I had one that said, I'm in a meeting, can't talk. I'm in class, can't talk, or I'm taking a nap. Like, that's what I had. Like, if you can't put your phone on do not disturb for an hour and be fine with it, Mm. I don't know what to tell you. I think that that is a really good way to try to figure out if your phone is causing you problems. Yeah. If you're constantly checking it, do I have a notification? Do I, is it a stupid Poshmark notification about a quote that makes no sense? Is it CoStar telling me to drink water today? <laughs> yeah. You know, if you can't disconnect or try these small things to try to unhinge yourself, yeah, you got a problem. Yeah. I agree. There's a lot of people out there that don't want to admit they have a problem. Y'all need to evaluate yourself. <laughs> Like we said in the first episode, mm-hmm. take some time after the episode and evaluate yourself. And evaluate yourself after this last question of this episode. Yep. Do we need to delete social media apps from our lives? La- lives. I can't talk today. It's okay. It's late. Okay. Yeah. Lives or curb its usage a lot. I think the answer to this question lies in the kind of person that you are. Yep. You know, some days I think about just deleting an account and seeing how it feels. I have a friend, right? Oh, you, you guys know, right? You said she was on the podcast. Yeah. She purges herself from social media every once in a while, like completely just disappears. Mm-hmm. And she recommends it. She does say that, you know, you have to be a certain type of person to do it. You know, that it's hard. But now that she does it 
periodically, mm-hmm. it has helped her. Yeah. You know, I think about that sometimes. I also think I'm not someone that has to do it because I don't think that I'm that hooked into it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I casually look at stuff. I'm not like liking and commenting on everything and, you know, um, I'm not believing everything that I see online too. Exactly. Um, so I don't think I'm necessarily someone who would have to, you know, curb or completely delete. Um, but I do think that the small things that I've talked about throughout this episode, you know, turning off notifications for certain apps, mm-hmm. doing an experiment with do not disturb for an hour, mm-hmm. like those little things can be a gauge of how much has social media, you know, affected your life. And as I'm talking, I've gotten two notifications, which is why I keep, you can't see this, but I keep looking at my phone. So yeah. No, I feel you. Like, throughout this episode, I've gotten notifications, and I'm just like, bruh, like, none of these are important. I just got a LinkedIn request from someone in college, so. Yeah, like, some of them are important, and then some of them aren't. Like, I have three on my phone right now. My Duolingo, to practice my French. (laughs) Citizen. And one of my friends sent me, um, it's like, instagram dm of like somebody's post but some of them are important and then some of them aren't and it's like if you can if you can put more control into what you see you control when you see your likes and comments you control when you respond to people's um you know messages and phone calls and it's not just all these notifications popping up on your screen and you gotta scroll through a whole bunch of stuff having control over the, your apps and when you see things i think is so much better than having all of these things overwhelmingly on your lock screen but i feel like just to talk like myself i guess i personally do not think i could delete social media for my life entirely but i think that just from even having this conversation with you there are some things that i am going to like implement on my phone like turning off like notifications on instagram and decrease some of the notifications i get from certain apps because some of them are unnecessary like you don't need to have them come up on your lock screen all the time like poshmark we don't need poshmark co-star is kind of funny sometimes so I'll, i'm gonna keep them but there's Here's some- the thing well actually i'll let you finish then i have no i was just gonna say like there's really just some notifications you don't need and i think keeping the most important ones or like like for example i just said i have duolingo because i'm trying to practice my french and i want to try to do like five minutes a day like if there's something that you want to improve on and there's an app that you have that's helping you with that then okay leave it on your lock screen but if it's not essential i think it should just go and you check it on your own time yeah that's it (laughs) What I was going to say was another tip I have, which is something that I've done for over a year now. I have the settings on my phone for all notifications with some select few that the actual notification is hidden for me until my phone is unlocked. So LinkedIn says notification. doesn't say what the notification is. I have to physically pick up my phone. It sees my face. It unlocks. And then it will show me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's like and then it's again another self-determination thing is 
do I need to open this notification right now? Mm-hmm. Because I very much believe in the idea of it's going to be there in 20 minutes. Unless it's some urgent life-changing thing, like yeah. somebody died in your family. It's an email that needs to be responded to stat. Mm-hmm. It's a Snapchat from a friend. Do you really need to answer it right now? Bro. If it's a TikTok notification that your friend sent you a funny TikTok, do you need Bro. to open it right now? That's what I'm um, saying. If you follow people on Instagram and you have post notifications on, do you need to open it right now? Exactly. Like, there are certain things you just need to also learn. Not Because ev- that's the other thing. It's the notification nudging you to try to get you to come back. Do you need to open it? Mm-hmm. Are you going to let the three creepy men win? Exactly. And friends, be nicer to your friends and stop telling them to respond faster to your freaking Snapchats that's just of your face. Your friends got other stuff to do, too. Like, y'all are, y'all are all 24. Why are you, like, you Yeah, know? like, just, le- like, everyone has so many things they're doing in their day. And, I mean, I, this probably doesn't reflect, reflect, like, our age range, but probably younger. Your friends are going to be there in, like, five minutes. Relax. Okay, they're, they're not responding to your Snapchat. Come on, give people some slack. Like, people don't need to Honestly, be Honestly, if I send someone a Snapchat at this point, I really don't expect them to respond instantaneously. I'm not like, oh, my God, he opened it. Oh, my God, he's typing. I'm going to stop typing. Oh, my God, his bitmoji popped up. Oh, it's gone. Like, Exactly. Like, people really, like, obsess over it like that. I'm like, you need to relax. Like, calm down. It's not that deep. <laughs> so, in conclusion, take some self-reflection time and try to figure out what apps you look at the most. Take a look mm-hmm. at your screen time. Mm-hmm. See what it says. Look at what your top six apps are. Um, you know, play with your settings a little bit. Mm-hmm. Watch The Social Dilemma. It's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't really answer fully, I think, the question. And they kind of say at the end, we don't, we kind of can't, you know, come up with a solution at the moment. This yeah. is a very big question that I don't think will be answered for a while. There's no big one answer. Mm-hmm. You know, self-reflect, um, do some research, you know, read up on this stuff. There's a lot of information out there. This is a debate that's going to go on for a very long time. Okay. Um, and educate those around you. If you've got a young person in your family that's stick to their phone, maybe you need to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a parent, you know, hopefully you're making the right decisions about technology. You know, I think, I think most parents probably are. Yeah. I'd yeah. say it's a small handful that are being dumb. Yeah. Um, All right. <laughs> So we want to thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode. We upload new episodes every Friday so you can start your weekend off right. Niella, where can people listen to our podcast? They can listen on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever else they listen to podcasts. All the links can be found at our Instagram at canibehonest underscore pod. See you next Friday. Bye.